Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. God's desire from the very beginning of creation was to be with you, be with his people. He did not create a separate universe to put his creation. He did not say, you know what? Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, let's, let's, let's create humans and get them away from us. No, he created them and put them in a garden, in a place to dwell where he, his presence, was with them. That was God's original intent, was to be near and with and available to his people. Now we can see that's the way things started. Things got a little off track, if you know anything about the Bible. Man did what they wanted to do, said, hey God, thanks, thanks for the home, thanks for the blessings, but we're going to do what we want to do. That That created separation. God said, I've got a rescue plan. I'm going to choose Abraham. I'm going to build a nation through him because God always chooses to work through people. I don't know why. It's not faster. Was cleaning the house yesterday, and me and my wife could have gotten it done about an hour and a half when we include our three sons that we call the Wear Hurricane. Takes us about nine hours. When you include more people to get involved, it always takes longer and and, and is not faster, but God chooses to work through people. That's what we see. So he chose to build a country, nation that he could show himself through and work himself through, and he created mechanisms and ways for, for his people to be with him and dwell with him, a tent, a temple. But in Jesus Christ, we find God wanted to come near, be near. We even see John chapter 1, verse number 14, the apostle John in the gospel, the gospel writer He says, the word became flesh, and I love what the message version says, and moved into the neighborhood. God came near. His desire is to be near and close to you, to us, his people. We have been in a sermon series where we're talking about the kingdom of God. I really felt that as we've gone into 2023, we needed to learn not how to be a better church, but to be kingdom people. We see Jesus talking, uh, you know, mentioning the church twice, but mentioning the concept of the kingdom of God over a hundred times. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, near. It's here. And I just really felt that you, you hear Jesus, Jesus praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His concept was to build not just people who attend a building called church, but are people who know what it means to be and dwell and live in and bring his kingdom, his rule and reign wherever we go. So he wants to be near. I don't know about you though. This can be hard. So kind of let me quickly recap our series, which if you have not, um, if you have not listened to the past messages in this series, I really want to encourage you because all of these are building on each other. The first one, we talked about how that God does a work. He did a work for us, and our response to God working is to repent. Repent does not just mean feel sorry for. It means to turn. So it's our job not to keep going the way we're going when we encounter the gospel. We actually turn. We actually repent. And what do we? And when we turn, what do we actually receive? We get to believe and receive the gospel, the good news. When we believe the gospel and the good news, it changes the fundamental identity of who we are. We're born again. Jesus said in John 3, into the kingdom of God. So last, last week I talked to you, and if you were here, you know this. If you weren't here, you're going to be like, what in God's holy name? We talked about how this can actually be a reality, that whenever we're born again, we're actually born again into the kingdom of God, meaning we get to live in a world within a world. We become bubble boy and bubble girl, where where we can actually receive and live in the reality 
of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that we get the opportunity to taste a bit of heaven on this side of heaven, on this side of earth. We get the opportunity not to just get to heaven. We have the opportunity to live in and bring heaven here. So last, last week I talked to you that this can actually, when you're born again, this can be your reality. That though Joe Biden is president, Jesus is king. Come on, somebody. Right, the, there is the world, but then there is a kingdom that we can live in, that we see Jesus operating in, living in. You can see it in Jesus' language when he talks about living in my Father's world. I do what my Father says. I say what my Father tells me to say. I love whom the Father brings me. There was this idea that though Jesus was living in the Roman the, the Roman Empire, he was not living according to what the Roman Empire wanted him to do. He was living according to what his Father in heaven and the kingdom of the heavens wanted him to do. And this is the same exact concept that Jesus doesn't just live in, he invites us to live in as well. And so I said, we as kingdom people need to learn what it means to learn to live in the kingdom of God that has been made available to us because we've been born again. So I talked last week about how this can be your reality, but what I realize and what I understand is learning to live in this space and within this place is not easy. Because I don't know about you, though God is near and God wants to be near, we don't always feel he is near. Can, can, can we just say that that is true? I want to remind you, feelings are fickle. Feelings are like a roller coaster. Feelings can bring chaos. They can bring clarity. Here, here's the thing. Feelings need to be validated. But they also need to be investigated. Okay? Because many people go one of two ways. They feel and they're like, oh, whatever. Devalue it, deny it, stuff it. Who cares? Just press through. Some people are totally controlled by their feelings and can't function without them. I don't believe that that is the way that we're called to be in the kingdom of God. As Jesus followers, we have feelings because we're human. But we also, so we have to have them validated because some people like, if you, don't get your vali- if you don't get your feelings validated, you feel crazy. Right? Feelings come from a bunch of different places. They come from experiences. They could just, I mean, feelings are come from all over the place. And though they, they need to be validated and see some of y'all disvalidate people's feelings and in doing so you make them feel crazy. Okay? But just because you validate doesn't mean you should not investigate. Okay? Because you need to investigate, does what I feel line up with what God's word says? Right? So we have to say, is what I'm feeling, how does it line up, and what needs to change? Do, my fe- do I need to operate in faith in spite of what I feel? Because many times that's what we have to do. Like many of us operate despite feelings of doubt. Anxiety, worry, all of these feelings, right? So if, if we need to operate and we need to change, that doesn't mean that God's word needs to change, right? Like, like if anything's changing, we got to change, right? But the reason I say that is, is because many of you, because you don't feel God is near, you think God isn't near. And I want to talk to you about why I think that is. Because I think we have not, done a great job, and I'm speaking about me, the pastor, and the church, of helping people understand the nearness and availability and the presence of God that is there and available to us. I want to talk to you about reasons we struggle to believe that God is always with us and available. God, of course I have three. Can't have four. Can't have two. Gotta have three. Three is the perfect number. That's, well, that's actually seven, but it's all right. Well, because if, if, man, if I had seven points every time, we wouldn't get out of here until two o'clock. All right, so reasons we struggle to believe that God is always with us and available. Number one, hot, cold theology. If you've, if you've been in church, right, you have been taught, man, Jesus wants you hot or cold. 
serving him or not. Because he don't want you lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, you know what he's going to do? Hawk a loogie. <laughs> Spit you out of his mouth, right? And we'll quote Revelation 3, and we'll talk about the church in Laodicea and about how they were lukewarm. But see, so we've interpreted that as God just wants you hot or God wants you cold. He wants you serving him or not. Choose him this day whom you'll serve, right? So serve him or don't, but don't be in the middle. And that's a gross misinterpretation of that text, to be candid. Because the church in Laodicea actually was a place where where there was hot, really hot springs and really cold springs. And people would come from all over the world to come and drink these, these different waters, these different waters with different minerals and vitamins in them to heal their bodies. And so what, what Jesus was speaking to the church in Laodicea was, hey, like, you know, you know what? Like when, you know, like your hot water is useful, your cold water is useful, but if you're lukewarm, that's not useful. That's not helpful, right? But what I think we have unconsciously done is, like, if we feel hot on fire for God, God's near. If we're, like, cold and not serving him, his presence isn't there. Can I just remind you, and like I told you a couple weeks back, God isn't moving. If anyone, anybody, anything is moved, it's us, not him. When he died on the cross and the veil was, was torn, he resurrected and defeated Satan's sin and death. He told his, his disciples, I am with you to the very end of the age. What he was wanting them to know is that in spite of what you feel or where you are, my presence is there. Even, even David in the Psalms says, you go to the highest heights, heavens, the depths of hell. What does he say? I am there. God is there. Here's the, so... We have to make sure we don't, if, if I feel holy, if I feel right, if I feel good, he's near. If I'm not feeling that great, I'm messing up, I'm blowing it, he's not there. God is not moving, his presence is there. But we can develop this, if I'm doing good, he's near. If I'm not, he's not. And y'all, let me tell you, that is not the truth. God is not moving. He is the consistency in our chaos. He is the faithfulness in our fickleness. He is the one that scripture says, when we are faithless, he's faithful. And what does this build? A secure attachment. That we know if anything's moving, it ain't him. All right, secondly, we, we have this unconsciously believing or consciously or we are unconsciously believing in a sacred and secular divide. I don't know about you, right? But we can sometimes think God's more near when we're in our prayer closet, incense burning, candle on i'm coming back to the heart like in in the background worship music on incense burning worship music playing candle lit kids in bed right like that's when the presence of god is there so he's more there than he is when you are at work struggling to figure out an answer let me tell you that is not true the presence of God is just as available in the quiet time when it's 70 degrees and sunny, right, than it is when it feels 30 degrees and cold at your job. We have developed this sacred and secular mindset even within worship services. So we've said, oh, God, please come. Please come. Show up. Show up. I'm like, I'm stop praying that. He's here. He is here. His presence is here. It's not that we need to pray for him to show up. We need to pray for us to be aware of the presence that is already here and available to us. But this is not just a worship service. This could be in the truck driving. This could be in a, in a classroom teaching. This, this could be when you're at the shipyard spraying paint. This could be at the shipyard when you're designing. The presence of God is just as available in the quiet place as he is at the job. Sacred and secular, that wall has been torn down, and the presence of God is available in there. So that's what I'm saying. We have to make sure we aren't letting our feelings guide us and we have to make sure we haven't created this secular, sacred divide because in Christ, all things have been made holy in him. Can they be taken and used as not being holy? Of course they can. That's what the devil does. He always counterfeits. Counterfeits and confuses what God created. Thirdly, we, we consciously or we consciously numb ourselves to God's available presence through sin, busyness, and a lack of cultivating. Cultivating. 
Let's just be candid. Is, 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 is God's presence always there? You're dang right. But can you numb yourself to it? You're absolutely right, you can. You can numb yourself to the availability that is there, to the presence that is there. And this is why sin, we can think of, oh, God's such a party pooper. God is just such a punk. No, God knows that when you give in to something that isn't his best, you numb yourself to his availability and presence. You numb yourself. It, it kind of like, it makes you drunk. You see how many times in scripture Paul, Paul and Peter encouraged the, the churches to be sober-minded? Do you know what he was telling them? He was like, don't let, and he wasn't just talking about alcohol, because alcohol, do you know what can be intoxicating? News. So, social m- media. Ungodly sexual sin can be intoxicating, where you don't even know how to think right because you're engaged with someone that you're not supposed to be with. So it makes you drunk. It makes you, unso- it, it, it makes you intoxicated to even know what's right and wrong and what God's best is. And it actually intoxicates you to being available to seeing the availability and awareness of God's presence that is there. He's not being a punk. When he tells you not to do certain things, he's actually being a good father who loves you. Busyness can be intoxicating. I mean, you can, you, you, you can busy your way out of the presence of God. Even in ministry. That's the occupational hazard of being in ministry. As we busy ourselves with the work of God, we don't make ourselves available to be with God. And a, and a lack of cultivating, right? We can, we can miss the fact that a relationship with God has its honeymoon phase. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But the presence of God is cultivated. All right, so those are three things that I see why we struggle with God being near. I want to talk to you about how do we, how do we abide here? You read, you know, we read in these scriptures earlier, right? The scriptures that that um, that that Stephanie read, and she read about Jesus abiding. Did you hear how many more times that word "abide" was read? Different translations they say "remain," like "remain," "be with," "abide." That's what Jesus' heart is. So how do we get to the point where, where we are in this place of abiding in the kingdom of God with our brother, Lord, and Savior Jesus in the Father's love and filling with the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we get to this place of abiding? This is my heart today. This is my goal today is to have a church where we are not fickle in is God there. We know he's there. We tear down these mindsets that we've created and even the church has perpetuated to make you think God isn't near. So how do we live as a people, individually and corporately? I just want to say this. If, if your baby's crying, bring it on, okay? Can I just say that? You know, you know what I hear? I hear life. There are churches that would die. There are churches that would, sorry, die. That would love to have kids crying in their service. I hear life, I hear future, I hear generational blessing. That's what I hear when I hear babies crying. So hey, it's all good. We can suck it up, church. We can, we can listen to the stuttering guy through the crying babies, okay? Okay. So the first thought is this. Number one, we become continually aware of who you now are because of Jesus. If you're a part of our church any amount of time, as often as I can, I will always tie anything we ask you to do, encourage you to do with your identity in Christ. Because if I don't, all you will hear is more mores. Do more, read more, pray more, more, more. And you don't walk out of here blessed, you walk out of here with more burdens. My heart is first off to remind you of who you are in Jesus. And as a result of who you now are, that then encourages you to have a want to to do the things that Jesus asks and requires. So many people, they get it backwards. They, they think identity is rooted in what you achieve and that's what makes you you. That's what our culture, you earn this 
degree. You've earned this salary. You've earned this job. You've earned this person's love. It's earning, 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 earning. But then you come into the kingdom of God that says you can't earn a thing. You simply receive it. We become like, what in the world? This is too good to be true. When it's not, it's just that that's what makes the good news the good news. Is it starts with acceptance. It starts with love. It starts with you being adopted. Like, like it starts with being. It doesn't start with doing. This is what the good news is. And this is what I will preach to the day I die. Why? Because if we just have this thing we do and then we're loved by God, we do and then God loves us, then we will misinterpret, misconstrue the good news that Jesus came to give. You can even see this in the way that Paul corrected churches. Like, y'all know Paul planted churches, but he planted some dysfunctional messes, man. Paul would go in and plant churches, and there were problems in the church because there were people in the church. If you want a perfect church, get all the people out. I mean, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and the churches he planted were like churches gone wild. I mean, honestly, there was sexual sin going on that Paul said was literally like worse than, like even worse than what sinners would do. There was people during communion getting drunk. Can you imagine, instead of passing out little cups, we passed out bottles? I was like, y'all, let's celebrate the Lord's, Lord's Supper, y'all. Turn up, you know, like. They were doing gluttonous feast. They were, they were like, like they were joking on, on each other's spiritual gifts. They're like, oh, you only speak in tongues? <laughs> I prophesy. Like, it was wild and crazy. And when Paul would write letters to these churches to talk to them about the craziness that was going on, Paul would, would not start with their behavior. He would start with their being. He wouldn't start just change the behavior. Do this more. Do that better. He always connected it to, do you know who you are now? Do you know who you are now? Like, do you know, like, what you've been transformed into? You couldn't earn that. You couldn't buy that. You've just received it instead of achieved it. Now, because of whose you are and who you are, these are the things that make you who you're supposed to be. You even see this first Corinthians 6 when Paul, when he just, before these verses, he listed off a plethora of sins. He's like, man, y'all were gluttons, drunkards, slave traders, sexual sinners, debaucherers, like debauch. I mean, you know, that's like, that just ain't getting drunk. Like debauchery is a whole other level. Right, Jarvis? I mean, debauchery is like college, right? And he mentions all that stuff, and then he says this. Yo, some, some, of, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of Jesus. Christ and by the Spirit of God. What is he doing? He says, y'all, before I correct your behavior, I need to remind you of your being. I saw this thing, this one thing online. This pastor was sharing a story uh, whenever he first started to follow Jesus, he was hooked on pornography, and he wanted to get it out of his life, so he, so he got an accountability partner who was his pastor, and he said in the very early stages of him becoming free of pornography, whenever he would slip up, he would call his accountability partner and let him know. So he's like, when I would have a slip up, I would call him up, and I'd be like, hey, bro, man, I had a really weak moment, and I failed. I slipped up, and he was like, I was just waiting for the hammer. And he said, the craziest thing happened. He said, whenever I told him, he said, the first things out of his mouth were stuff like this. You are loved by God. You are accepted. You are a child of God. You are Jesus's friend. You are joint heirs with Jesus. You are united with God in one spirit with him. You are a temple of God. You are a member of Christ's body. You're a saint. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're complete. And he was like, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to call him up and tell him of my failure and him just start rattling off to me. But what was he doing? Before he addressed the behavior, he wanted to remind him of who he already was in Christ. Y'all, this is good. Because honestly, many times, whenever we mess up, screw up, we, we, we always think we're on this point system with God. So it's like, all right, well, now I gotta do this and that and the other thing, and then I'll get to the point where I can pray again. Y'all, no. 
part of you getting over any sin, any struggle, any habit, any hurt, any hang-up is you becoming continually aware of who you already are in Christ. Not by what you earned, but what you received. Here's, here's the thought. You can't do your way into God's presence and kingdom. You have to be your way into it. This is so hard because we live in a do culture. Some of y'all are like, nah, dog, that's cool, but what do I got to do? Do, 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 like, that's not the way the gospel works. Gospel works by you receiving the good news. And then any good you do do, <laughs> sounds weird, any good you then do, there we go, is done out of a love instead of a fear. It's done with a pure heart instead of a fearful heart of, am I going to be accepted? You're already accepted. This makes the gospel good. I just want to remind you real quick. I just, I just want to read some things over you. But I pray, get in your spirit, get in your heart, and remind you today, no matter where you're at, no matter how bad you're struggling, no matter where you feel, I don't care if you've been in Christ for 30 years, you need to hear all of these things. I want to know you are loved. There's a scripture next to each one of these. You are loved. You are accepted. You are a child of God. You are Jesus' friend. You are a joint heir with Jesus, and you share in his inheritance with him. You are united with God and, and, and in spirit with him. You are a temple of God. His spirit and his life lives in you. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a saint. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are complete in Christ Jesus. You are free from condemnation. You are, you are a new creation because of Christ Jesus. You are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. You are established, anointed, and sealed by God. You have the spirit of God within you, not the, not the spirit of fear. You are God's co-worker. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You have direct access to God. You have been chosen to bear fruit. You are God's living stone built up in Christ as a spiritual house. You will always have the presence of God because he never leaves you. Y'all, what if you want to live here, you can't live here if you don't feel like and know you belong here. And living in this, Jesus is what makes you worthy to live there, and he gives you access to it but it starts with you continually becoming aware of who you already are. Is that good news, family? How do we live here? Ready? Secondly, practice spiritual disciplines. Like, John, I thought you just said it's not about what we do. I understand that. That's why I didn't start with this. I started with your identity. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's like we, we do understand that in the root word disciple is the word discipline. But do you know what has in some ways killed discipline in the church? And this is going to sound weird. Grace. An abuse of grace. We use grace as a cover-up for discipline. Oh, it's under the cross. Yeah, but you're not being formed to be like him. So this is what we have to dig in and be like. And here's the thing. Discipline, don't say you don't have discipline. Everybody, everyone say everybody. Everybody have discipline. You can be disciplined at being undisciplined. That's a discipline. You're undisciplined at being, you're disciplined at being undisciplined. It's just like whenever people say, I don't have abs, I don't believe in this whole absolute truth stuff. Is that your absolute truth? It's like, come on, man. We are becoming dumber by the day. It's like, come on, man. So how do we practice these spiritual disciplines? How do we practice? And that word practice is important to me because you know at our church, we say we're not trying to be like Jesus, we're training. Yeah. Training is practicing. Some, like we have to take on a training mentality, a practicing mentality, right? So when we're doing anything, any spiritual discipline, here's the thought, start with why. What I see is that a lot of people are practicing things and they have no idea why. Read your Bible, pray, fast, gratitude, celebrate, community, giving, generosity. All of these things churches are telling you what to do. People are like, all right, cool. And they have no reason why they're doing them. And so when, if you don't have a why, the motivation doesn't last. When you don't have a why, you don't know the, like, the actual end goal, the actual end purpose. And this concept has gotten huge even in the business world, a guy named Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. He has one of the most watched TED Talks ever, and I'm like, this guy's stuff isn't that revelatory. He's literally like, when you're leading an organization, when you're leading whatever, you, you gotta start with why you're doing it. I'm like, duh. 
I'm like, that's not, but it's like dudes made millions of dollars. But I'm just telling people, start, start with why. And I think there's a reason we don't have a church that actually practices and trains. Many people don't know why. It's like giving someone a shovel and be like, here you go, dig right here. Andy, what would you say? <laughs> why? Any smart person would be like, well, why? And if, if I said, hey, just let you know, 10 feet deep, there's a treasure chest with $10 million in it. Come on. Some y'all like, where's that shovel? Where's that place? I'm digging. Me, I'd be like, get the power company out. Make sure they spray them lines. Make sure I ain't hitting no, no, no gas lines or no like, you know, we're going to, and then too, I'm going to go and rent a piece of heavy machinery to get down to that $10 million quicker. Yeah, right? So, so, but it's like people say why, and whenever we tell people just do more, practice this, read your Bible, da, 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 I think at the root of it, a lot of people don't know why. And really, I think if, if, if you don't connect every discipline you do to becoming like Jesus, you miss the point. Dis- See, here's the thing. I think we've got some wrong whys that I want to address real quick. Spiritual disciplines are not salvation. Meaning, they're not salvific, meaning the more disciplines you do doesn't mean they save you, right? Because we can think, okay, if I do these, these are what save me. I just want to encourage you. No, they don't. Or does God work on a point system? Oh, I see, uh, I see Jimmy down there. Uh, man, he's prayed for 30 minutes. Okay, chalk that up. That's an 8.0. Uh, he's, uh, ooh, he's, he's praying for 30 minutes today, huh? I might answer one of his prayers later. You know, like, this is the kind of stuff we have in our heads. So we think the stuff we do saves us, or we think it's some kind of point system that God will give us more favor if we do them. Can I just say at its core, spiritual disciplines are this, medicine. Spiritual disciplines are medicine for your soul. They are ways to invite the presence of God that is already there. There are ways to make you aware of the presence and the word and the truth that is already there. It's literally like just, just, just taking a door, opening it, and inviting in. These are what spiritual disciplines are. What is the purpose of the spiritual disciplines? They're to make you be more like Jesus. If you don't think that is the purpose of your life, you've missed the whole point of Christianity. When we disassociate any discipline, if we get it away from becoming like Jesus, we miss the point. Jesus is not concerned about behavior management. He's concerned about who you are becoming. And it is these disciplines that help invite the life of God, the kingdom of God, that open the door of the kingdom of God to us as we, as we do them. This is what spiritual disciplines are. Here's the thing. Spiritual disciplines protect and cultivate a practice of abiding with Jesus. Because here's the truth. Like I said earlier, there comes a point in time where in your marriage, the honeymoon phase is over. And all of the free stuff you did that was just spontaneous and passionate and in the moment, you get a couple kids in there. You, you get a couple sports teams in there. You get a couple stressful jobs in there. Then what you'll find is what seemed so natural at one season seems so hard to make happen in another season. So then what do you find that you actually have to do, and y'all know it's true, you have to start scheduling. And those are laughing that are know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, right, you know, you got the empty nest, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've had your time, right? But then you got to start scheduling, and, and, and then you have to start playing, and then you have to start setting up a structure for what? Intimacy to grow. And this is where many Jesus followers find themselves is that they don't feel the presence of God because they have no structure in their lives that cultivates, that cultivates intimacy with him. Because I think sometimes we can look at discipline as legalism. 
where we've said, well, we don't need to do anything to be saved, right? Like, though, in, you know, any discipline, can it go to forms of legalism? It can only become legalism if you believe it saves you. But discipline, you know, like love, love takes discipline. For love to grow, it needs discipline. It is not just empowering. Love is restricting what you can do and what you can't do. I love my wife. There's things I won't do with other people, women especially. Why? Because love is empowering. Yes, I love it, but it also restricts. But this is, this is what discipline does. It cultivates, right? And, and really what the very early church did is they developed something that, they, that they'd call a rule of life. And a rule of life, the, the word rule comes from the Latin word regula, which literally means a straight piece of wood, but it's also the word used for a trellis. So you go ahead and put a trellis up for all of you who don't garden. I'm not a gardener, but I know what a trellis is, right? A trellis brings a structure. This is what John, this is what John Mark Comer says, Pastor John Mark Comer. He says, what a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to, is to abiding. It's a structure. In this case, a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. It's a way to organize all of your life around the practice of the presence of God, to work and rest and play and eat and drink and hang out with your friends and run errands and catch up on the news, all out of a place of deep, loving enjoyment of the Father's company. If a vine doesn't have a trellis, it will die. And your life with Jesus, if it doesn't have some kind of structure to facilitate health and growth, it will wither away. Following Jesus has to make it into your schedule and into your practices or it will simply never happen. Apprenticeship to Jesus will remain, an, will remain an idea and not a reality in your life. Isn't that good? Because really what, what a trellis, a rule of, of life, a structure does is it helps things grow. I love what Peter Cazero says. He says a rule of life, very simply, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. I want to give you a few thoughts that as you're putting to, that as we're putting together a structure to live here, because living here can be a reality if we create a structure and cultivate it, right? So how do we set that up? A couple thoughts. A structure to cultivate the presence of God. Number one, start small and simple, right? There's a real temptation to develop an overly ambitious rule of life that looks great on paper but is totally unrealistic in practice. Select some practices that are doable for you right now you can always add more. So some of y'all are like, I'm gonna read the Bible, start from the beginning, get done in a month. That's my practice. And then you hit Leviticus and you're like, I hate my life. Why am I doing this? Right? Like we can take too big of chunks instead of like, you know what? Let me read one verse today about a topic. And let me think deeply about this verse. Right? Just start small and simple, right? We always wanna start big and we always wanna start bold. Maybe, maybe what we need to do is, 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 is just like develop a structure 15 minutes each morning. Before you check social media, you get in the Bible app and you read a devotion. And, and do you know what you're doing? That you're cultivating the presence of God. You're making yourself aware of the presence that is already there. Next, take into account your stage of life. The young mother uh, who has three children under the age of five, her structure is going to look very different from the two that, from those that are retired grandfathers. Or, or, or grandmothers, or that are empty nesters, right? A structure, um, it's similarly, a structure of one who becomes a Christian six months ago will look different from the one who has been following Jesus for 50 years, right? So structures will look different. And the worst thing we can do is try to project our structure on someone else. We should be asking each other because we can tell when somebody is withering. That's why church is important. You show up, and people that know you, they can read you. You ain't doing good. You all right? And what do we always say? I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. I'm before and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. Shata Bahama. I'm good. And you're faking your way through the whole thing. Your wife hates you. Your dog hates you. Can't make no one happy. Right? When, when, it's, when, it, when it's like, you need to allow people to, to, let, to check on you. And then maybe, that, hey, man, how's your structure? There, many, there, many times where I'm not asking to judge you, they're asking to be like, hey, man, do you have a structure to cultivate intimacy with the Lord? And instead of saying, well, I do this, 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 and I do this, 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 maybe you just need to listen. 
Instead of trying to give a prescription, one guy said prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Christians are always trying to diagnose or they're always trying to give prescriptions to things they don't listen enough to diagnose. And we'll project what we God's done in our life or we'll project what structures worked for us onto somebody else instead of listening and saying, Holy Spirit, what do they need, not do, not what do I want them to have? That makes sense? So take into account this, these, these stage of life. Thirdly, be flexible. Developing a rule of life that fits you as a process of trial and error. So feel free to experiment. And that word experiment is important. Y'all, you're training. You're training. Some of you can get up early at four o'clock like Brian. And he gets up and he's waiting for the alarm to go off like a sicko. Some, some of you get, like, get up right as you go to work. But you stay up until midnight. Like connect with God when you can. Don't, well, I just wish I could get up early. It's like, y'all, it's like experiment. Your training, your identity is safe in securing Christ. You're training, you're learning, you're experimenting. Be flexible. Lastly, be specific. Try for practices that are practical, concrete, and embodied, not vague or ideological. So instead of saying, I just need to rest more. No, be like, I'm Sabbathing, I'm taking this day off. Make it specific. Okay, what are some spiritual disciplines, personal and corporate, you can participate in? Scripture and prayer, silence and solitude, Sabbath day or time block. Fasting from social media, TV, or some other distractions. Like I said in first service, there was a time I had to fast Jacksonville Jaguar news because I was consuming it. Like I, That's how sick I am. Like, Jesus help me. Uh, worship, giving and generosity, community, gratitude, serving. Because here's, here's the point, guys. Like, this is just the small list. There's a lot of other things you could do. You could get into a lot of different places. Maybe you need to be outside nature. Maybe you do need that closet that has the, the candle, the incense, pictures on the wall. You know, it's, it's like space and place matter, right? But here's the thing. The personal discipline, or excuse me, the spiritual disciplines are personal and corporate, meaning there are things we do on a Sunday. The reason we do certain things on Sunday isn't because of what the church has always done. It's because certain things form you. It's a discipline. We worship not just to check a religious box. We worship to create an atmosphere so you can take your attention and put it on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We preach God's word, not because I just want to preach for sometimes 50 minutes, but, but because we surrender ourselves to God's word and we open up our hearts and we submit ourselves under his word. We fellowship for 60 seconds because we want to see each other's face, love. We want to realize this is going to be heaven one day. Like these certain things, because here's the thing, right? Whenever you do these things, and this is what Dallas Willard says, spiritual discipline works by indirection. A discipline is something we can do that enables us to do what we haven't yet been able to do by our own direct effort. Here's the thing, whenever you're giving God or whenever you're saying to God, thank you through gratitude, that protects you from worry. It's something you can do that protects you from something you're having struggling not to do. That makes sense? Whenever you're generous and you give, it's hard to give and be a consumer and be selfish. Whenever you pray, it's hard to worry. Whenever you read scripture, it gives you truth so when you have lies, you won't give in to them. These disciplines are for, these are medicine for your soul. They are ways to cultivate the spirit and presence of God in your life. Okay, we got to hurry. Jarvis, come up here. We got to land this plane. The last one's this. Triangulate. I know that's a weird word. Triangulate in the spirit of God. Here is the truth. Many of you, and I felt this way for 38 years, I always felt like it was me and the task, the meeting, or the problem. I just felt alone. So then when, when, when you feel this way, you always feel like you have to be impressive. You always feel like you have to know the answers. You always feel like you have to, to, like you feel this weight and burden of it being on you to fix the person, fix the problem, lead the meeting. Like, and, and it's, it just feels like, it's just a weight. And this is what ultimately leads many times as Christians and pastors to burnout is we think it's me and this and we have no awareness of the presence of God. 
So while I was going through these retreats, these pastors' retreats, they taught me this principle of triangulating in the Spirit of God. And this is the way it looks. I'm like, this was revelatory to me. Because just like I'm talking about it, God is near through his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am leaving and giving you the Spirit. Right? Like, Jesus said, it's better that I leave. He's in heaven, but I will send you the Holy Spirit to be with you, not just be with you, but be in you. The Holy Spirit is not the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God himself that he's given to us to be with us, dwell in us, guide us, lead us. And the thing is this, what, what they taught me was is triangulate in the Spirit of God, meaning if it's me and the meeting, me and the person meeting, there's actually a triangle going on. Me, the Spirit of God, who is God, and the person. Do you know what's so beautiful is now I don't, like, as I've started to live this and operate in this and function in this, is I, number one, I feel like I'm never by myself. Why? Because I'm alert. There's a triangle. The Spirit of God is here. So do you know what that relieves me of being? the answer man of knowing everything of trying to fix people I'll never be able to fix of fixing problems I'll never have the wisdom to fix of leading meetings that I've, that I've but no it's like what do I do I, I, I rest that the spirit is there and available and willing and, and he's active he's moving he's and now instead of saying hey spirit of God help I'm like spirit of God you lead I get to help you do you know what that has done my God, if you lived like this, because some of you feel so alone at your job, so alone in your parenting, so alone in, in your spouse stuff, so alone in all these areas of your life, what if you started to say, there's actually a triangle here. The Spirit of God is near. He's available. He's with me. I'm never by myself. Y'all, this could be revelatory. This is what Jesus had in mind. He said, you can live in the kingdom of God. You can have access to the Spirit of God where, wherever you are. And you can live with a Jesus-like boldness and courage that in the face of opposition, of betrayal, of hurt, or even of blessing, you can know you're never by yourself. God's with you, and whatever you need, he'll be there to give it to you. Y'all, my heart is to have a church that is presence-driven. That, dude, we have people that, are, that, that, uh, that understand this can be a reality as we get rid of that sacred secular divide, as we get rid of that hot cold theology, as we stop numbing ourselves with sin, we actually realize the presence of God is available and near. And it's not that he's not near, it's many times we aren't aware and we aren't cultivating a place of awareness. We aren't practicing disciplines. We aren't reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. And as we learn to triangulate in the spirit of God, you will go to your job and you will just, it will not just be you and your boss whom you can't stand. It will be you, the spirit of God and your boss. And the spirit of God will give you wisdom to say to him. He'll give you a love for him that you don't have in and of yourself. He will give you grace that you didn't know you had. And he will give you wisdom you didn't know you had. The Holy Spirit makes you a better you. And this is what my heart is for, for our church. We would be a presence-driven church. He's near. Would you stand up with me, church? Was that good? Was that helpful, church? Man, my heart is that I would start hearing stories about structures. What's your structure, man? How are you cultivating? And there's no judgment. There's, there's no projection. There's only help. I can't wait to hear stories of like, I was so anxious going into this meeting and then I thought about the spirit of God being there and I had this supernatural peace come over my soul. They're like, man, I had this problem and I was just thinking it was me and the problem, but then I triangulated in the spirit of God and reminded myself the presence of God that is already there and then I got wisdom that I knew I didn't have. This stuff's gonna start happening. And the, and the crazy thing is, it's gonna start being a reality you live in. And I'm telling you, you're, it's, it's gonna give you a, su a supernatural boldness. I've developed a boldness I didn't know I had. We're just over there in there chilling at Red Robin eating. The food comes out. We about ready to pray. What's up, girl? You got think, you know, you know, is there anything that you need prayer for? She tells us, my husband just left me. Well, hey, bro, we're gonna, excuse me, hey, sister, we're gonna pray for you. 
that's what it will do. It will give you a boldness. Because you know, if you're triangulating into the Spirit, the Spirit loves that person more than you ever could. So you become the hands and feet of Jesus, inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God. This is the reality we get to live in, church. And it's a beautiful thing. I used to laugh at people in church that would just laugh about the presence of God. Meaning the presence of God was so real and tangible and they would just laugh. I find myself laughing. But like, this is so good. This is awesome. This is what Jesus had in mind. Anyway, this is what my heart is for us as a community, as a body. Lift up hands with me. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. Thank you for what you spoke and did in Jesus' name. And Lord, right now we ask that we would be a spirit-driven people. We would be reminded we're never by ourselves. Your presence is here and available to us. Ask God that we would just not pray for you to be there. We'd ask God to make us aware. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just want to conclude today's service by giving you the opportunity to step into the kingdom of God. Those of you here that have never said yes to following Jesus, when we mean when we say yes, we simply mean this, that you allow Jesus to be Lord, King, and Savior. And maybe today you've never done that. You've heard us talking about the kingdom of God being born again. Maybe you've been in church and you've attended church, but attending and going to church doesn't make you born again. And maybe today you say, John, I, I, I want to believe and receive the good news and be born again by the Spirit of God and give me a new identity so I can live in this reality that you're talking about today. So just with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just say, John, that's me, when I count to three, I just want you to say yes. And by you saying yes, you're welcoming in the Spirit of God. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. We're going to pray for all those that said yes and for all those that whispered it or for all those that said it in their hearts. Would everyone here just join in with those that said, that said, yes, and pray this prayer. Jesus, I welcome you today to be Lord of my life, to be King and Savior. In response to the good news, I give you all of me, the good and the bad, and I welcome a new identity, a new being in Christ, loved by God, forgiven by God, filled with the Spirit. Jesus, thank you for giving me what I did not deserve. But in response, all of me go all in. in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Life out family. Can we just round that give it up for all those that said yes today? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.